Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I've entitled today's message, Enjoying What's Always Been Ours. If there's one thing that I want to encourage each and every one of you in today, and I don't care who you are, I don't care what situation you're in, I don't care what you've been doing, I want to declare God's word over you that you are highly qualified. He designed you with purpose. He designed you with destiny. He knows the plans and the purpose that he has for you, and he will see that to completion. We're in the habit of disqualifying ourselves, but God doesn't listen to us, thank him. God created us with purpose, but many find themselves struggling and believing and embracing his purpose. We often find it similar to what Jacob experienced when he wrestled with God, and I'm sure most of us know that story, but he knew he was wrestling with God. And daylight was approaching. And in the belief system, if he saw God, he would die. And the Lord told him, let me go. Daylight's upon him. No, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not letting you go until you tell me your name. We think of name differently than what they understood name as back then. Name refers to power authority, character, integrity of a person. Back in ancient cultures, when you talked about someone's name, it was who they were. And he said, I want to know your name. And essentially God declared as, I am the one who sees. God sees everything that we have ever done. And you know what? He still believes in you, regardless He still loves you. He still accepts you regardless. You are his beloved, the apple of his eye. Nothing that any of us can do can change that. Now, that doesn't mean he approves of everything that we do, but he loves us, and he's not going to allow those things to get in between us. Jacob heard the name of God, that he's the one who sees, who sees in me, and he still embraces me, and he still blesses me. Jacob's name was Deceiver, and he was a deceiver. But God gave him a new name as he saw him. That's who you've seen yourself as, but I'm going to tell you who you are. You are one who struggled with God and has overcome that struggle. We've been struggling. I can remember looking back at my past. There's been times that I've struggled with God. There's times that I've been angry with God. With all the perceived rules and regulations and ways that I had to live. I beat myself up. But you see, what God did with Jacob, he touched his hip. He changed his walk. With each step, he remembered God. Jacob knew he was blessed. Father knows best, and it's time for us to believe what he believes to be true about each and every one of us. It's not about what you believe. It's about what he believes. 
And I'd like to read three scriptures out of the message. First one is John 14, 11 through 14. And I love the way it's captured here. Jesus speaking, he said, Believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, these works, the works that I'm doing. The person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things, because I go to the Father. Did you hear that? He said, you trust in me, you'll do what I've been doing and greater things. That's the word I heard in Jamaica. And that's the word I hinge on. I've seen miracles here, but never like I've seen in Jamaica. And the day is coming when we will experience that. The person who trusts in me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things, because I'm on my way to the Father. And I am giving you the same work to do that I've been doing. You can count on it. From now on, whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I'm doing, I'll do it. That's how the Father will be seen for who he is in the Son. I mean it. Whatever you request in this way, I'll do. I suggest one of the reasons we've been having trouble with walking in the stuff, so to say, and seeing the things that God sees in us is because we've been trying to do things our way. It's never been about our way. It's never been about his way. That's a disconnect. It's been about our way. You see, this is what, John, what Jesus said in John 17. He said, speaking to his disciples, he said, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, you're in me, I'm in you, we're in each other, and all humanity is one. You see, one of the greatest problems that we have in the body of Christ, and one of my greatest struggles to embrace, is realizing that we are all his children, that we are all his breath, that we are all his creation, that he loves each and every one of us, that he has included each and every one of us. He died for each and every one of us. And he's calling each and every one of us home. No exceptions. Ephesians 2, 7 through 10. Now God has us where he wants us. Did you hear that? Where you're at right now, God has you where he wants you. Wait a minute, but he doesn't know about this. Oh, come on. He knows everything. I remember the first time apologize to my wife for this, when I realized that God was all-seeing and all-knowing, when I had to go to the bathroom, I'd pray and ask him to close his eyes so he couldn't see me. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I mean, <laughs> I took it literally. God, please close your eyes. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in the world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea, all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. What part do you have in your salvation? None. It's his work. You can't do anything to save yourself. If you can, we're not saved by grace. It's his work. It's his finished work. It's God's gift from the start to finish. 
We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we've done the whole thing. I know no one does that. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Jesus Christ to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. He prepared us for good works in advance. Right now, inside of all you and your spiritual DNA is everything God has destined for you to do. He destined in my genes, that spiritual genes, that I would see what I saw in Jamaica, that I would experience that. And he destined what is yet to come, seeing the fullness of that here. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. That's Jesus. That's the best invitation we ever received. Amen. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to, particip to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. It's all a finished work. He's done it all. According to God, we've got the power. So how can we experience it even greater than Jesus experienced it, just like Jesus said we would? We need to stop believing every aspect of the lie. You know, Paul, three times in the New Testament, he says, put off lying, or put off lying. One time in the Greek, it's accurately translated, put off lying. The other two times, it doesn't say lying, it says lie, singular. And it doesn't say present tense, it's past tense. Therefore, having put off the lie. There's not an article in front of it. Didn't make sense to the translators. But with what we're walking in now, it makes sense. Because everything that we've experienced in life, for the majority part of it, was about the lie. How many of us were taught that we're totally depraved sinners, unworthy, that we're worms, and scriptures were used to put all that? I remember one time when I was at Walmart, I heard a mother berating her child in the other aisle. I couldn't see him. You make me sick. You don't deserve to be alive. I wish you were never born. I was like, how could a parent talk to their teenager that way? I went and walked around to see what was on the other side of that aisle. And here was this little four or five-year-old cowering and shaking before their mother. We call that child abuse. How much different is that? When someone from up here says, you're worthless. You don't deserve to be alive. You deserve to be tortured. That's not love. That's not the way we love other people. That's not the gospel. That's another gospel that's rooted in works, what you do. It's not rooted in what God has done. We need to stop believing every aspect of the lie that we're separated from God 
Adam and Eve sinned, right? What did God do? He came looking. Adam, where are you, right? How about Cain? He was angry with his brother, thinking about killing him. What did God do? Pull up a chair. Let's have a little powwow here. What happened after Cain killed his brother? Same thing. How many of us were taught that Adam spiritually died after he ate? I was. What does spiritual death mean? You can't hear God's voice. God can't talk to you. You can't see God. You can't communicate with God. Didn't Adam and even Cain do all those things? They didn't drop over physically dead. But what happened on that day? A death did take place and it was a death to understanding and knowing who they authentically were. They were God's image. They were God's likeness. I don't know about you, but I was taught that Adam's sin was wanting to be like God. <laughs> Whose image was Adam made in? God's. That wasn't the sin. The sin was believing we had to do something to become more of what we already are. You see, the lie, we need to renounce every aspect of it. That you, I, or anyone is separated, unloved, unaccepted, or disqualified from God in any way. Our experience in God is firmly rooted in what we believe to be true about ourselves, about God, and about others, all humanity. It's essential that we believe God's truth in these areas rather than the lie. The foundation of experience in the greater things Jesus spoke of is rooted in believing in our origin, our source, who is God alone and found nowhere else. Regardless of what you see and what you experience in your life, what, regardless of what you've done, however bad it is, God is in you. In him we live, we move, we have our being. God is your source. God's identity is our identity. We are God's image, God's likeness. We possess his breath. Genesis 1.27, Genesis 9.6, after the flood, God still declares man is God's image. Acts 17, 28 and 29, Paul declares all humanity is his offspring and possesses his breath. Who are we to say otherwise? If we trace our origin to Adam's sin, which is rooted in the serpent's lie, we will allow ourselves to be deceived and robbed. We'll believe the lie that we now need to work for what has freely been and always will be ours, that his identity is our identity. I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you're at now. When I look at you, when I see you, when I talk with you, regardless of how you're treating me, you are God's image, you are God's likeness, and his breath is in you. And I tell you, that has freed me. The lie is never more powerful than the truth. So why do we make it more powerful than the truth? Come on, I do it, you do it. I love it when I catch myself being blindsided that, wow, I'm messing up here. Thanks for opening my eyes, God. The lie is powerless to undo what God has forever done. Satan's not more powerful than God. This revelation is God's heart and revealed throughout Scripture. If we go to Isaiah 51, 
we see God speaking to Isaiah about our origin. He says, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which we're hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. He's not telling Isaiah to look back to Adam and to see your source, your origin, as in total depravity. What he's saying is, humanity's origin is out of God's creative act, out of his pure creation, rather than out of the creator's lie. This is the revelation that God wanted Isaiah to grasp. We were hewn from God and his handiwork. Never cease believing our origin is God alone. And verse 2 goes on and says, Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Israel had difficulty embracing their identity, that it was rooted in God, just as many do today. God mentioned human heroes to look at, not dark heroes like Adam and Eve, totally wrapped in their sin, as so many focus on. God tells Isaiah to look at Abraham and Sarah, whom he declared blessed beyond measure, who were discovering their identity, being rooted in God alone. In Galatians 3.6, it says that Abraham trusted God's ability and that was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham trusted God. Abraham's faith was this. It was trusting that God was able to do what he said he was able to do. Now what I've come to realize is faith is not about what I must drop. Faith, it's a noun. And it's about believing in him, in what he says that he believes that he's capable. Abraham possessed the faith belonging to God. Many of us are familiar with Mark eleven twenty two. have faith in God. Greek doesn't translate it. Or it's translated not congruent with the Greek there. It's in the genitive there, which probably doesn't mean much to most of you. But the accurate translation is have God's faith. Have the faith of God. Have the faith belonging to God. God never questions that what he says will become reality. So if God says he loves you, there's nothing you can do to change that. If God says you are highly qualified, that you are blessed, there is nothing you can do to change that no matter how hard you try. And if you're trying real hard, you're just practicing to find out that in the end, love wins. God wins. Kind of like Jacob in that wrestling match. In the midst of glaring impossibility and disqualification, don't trust in yourself, but trust in God like Abraham. Every time you see yourself mess up, this is what I do. God, I'm so thankful that it doesn't depend on me, on what I do, but on you. Be encouraged if we find we are unable. God is able. Abraham and Sarah, think about them. They had a lot of disqualifying experiences. They followed and questioned God, you're going to have a child. Sarah laughed. Am I going to have a child at this old age? 
Abraham even questioned. Abraham gave his wife to another, not just once, but twice. Lying. All sorts of things. I mean, it's some pretty bad stuff. But what was Israel's faith modeled after? Abraham. God never disqualified Adam and, or Abraham and used him as a showcase for what true faith is like, what it's about. God saw through any perceived disqualification and doing them with power to succeed. They were blessed by God. The same is always true of you, even if you don't fully realize it yet. The lie is not more powerful than the truth. It never is. We need to stop giving the lie and everything that comes from the lie such power. Abraham's power was always rooted in God and his trust in God. It was never rooted in himself and his thinking and his actions and his behaviors. It was rooted solely in knowing and trusting God is able. Did any trust God to provide a sacrifice? Yeah. That's what God wants us to believe about our origin. Then we hit Isaiah 51.3. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. Why did Israel need God's comforting? Now, they were pretty bad, right? And they were told and they believed that their suffering was God's punishing them for being bad. Just as many are told and believe today. Yes, Israel suffered, but it wasn't as punishment from God. It was a result of their choices. I understand all the doctrines, but I'm going to tell you something. I value scripture over doctrine any day. Now, unless scripture contradicts itself, blessing and cursing can't flow from the same source. Now, this is what James has to say. James 3, 10 through 12. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. That's true of you and me, and that is true of God. God cannot bless and then curse. God is not Janus, the Roman God, the two-faced God. He is a God of blessing. God is toward you, and he has never been against you. God looks beyond our poor choices, seeing only his choice, to blessing, to heal, and to restore. God told Isaiah, even in their perceived abandonment and disqualification, he was blessing them. It's time we realize it's never been about what we do, but rather to trust in what he has already done. Verse 3 finishes up with, He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. The word find in the Greek, it means to find, to learn, discover. And in the Greek Septuagint, which I always like using the Septuagint for the Old Testament scriptures, 
because it predates the Masoretic text, which is used in all of our English uh, translations by 1,000 years. And it's pretty accurate with the Dead Sea Scrolls. 350 BC, what all the, the major Jewish theologians, how they understood scripture to be. They use the word find there. It means to find, to learn, discover. They used it in the future active tense. It's speaking of the individual's active role in discovery. It's speaking of their unwrapping what's always been in there, but hidden, but veiled. And you know something? That's what you and I are doing. That's what we are on this journey in the church with what we're learning. What's the big deal about identity? It is essential that you know who God is, and who God is is who you are. You're not God, but you are his image. You are his likeness. His breath is in you. His DNA is your DNA. You are his stock. You are his genos. You are his family. You are his species. In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open." Jesus was speaking about our active involvement in this process. God's always been inside of us. Heaven exists in here. This is God's dwelling place. And it's about discovering what's been hidden underneath all the soil of our lives. The word joy there. Euphrene in the Greek. It refers to you, which means well, and friend, which means a mind. It's a seat of mental, emotional, and spiritual activity. But not just that, but the ability to control one's thoughts and attitudes. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could always control your thoughts and attitudes? I'd love it. I'm telling you, I ain't there yet, and if you have figured out that, that special thing, I want you to meet with me, okay? But God was telling Isaiah, this is the outcome. Those who are suffering because of their poor choices. This is where I'm taking them. They're not taking themselves that that way. They're discovering what I planted in them. The word gladness there, joy and gladness will be found. The word gladness, in the Greek it means intrinsic goodness, a personal quality, stressing, being kind rather than being, oh, you're so righteous. God's talking about a fundamental change that he's doing. God is communicating to Isaiah, who communicated with Israel, who could not understand, and communicating to us, which many of us don't understand, you were never disqualified. And God mentioned Eden, so it's worthwhile taking a real quick journey there. We know in Genesis 127, God created man, and what did he say? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. How many of us were taught that because of Adam's sin, God cursed Adam and Eve and the serpent, and that as punishment, God cast him out of the garden? I was taught that. I learned that in seminary. But God's original intent was, you're going out to fill the earth and subdue it. Now, when we look at the Septuagint again, when it says God sent them out, it's the word exapostello, which means, that's where we get our word apostle from. It means he sent them out with the same apostolic authority. But they looked at themselves. How could God be doing this? We sinned. They felt shame. They felt guilty. They felt dirty. 
We can't do it. So then it says he drove them out. The word drove, ekbalo, it's, ek means out, ambalo, which means to cast, to throw, or even drive. And it's just like a mama chick pushing her, or a mama bird pushing her little chicks out of the nest. It's time, you're ready to fly. And that's what God was telling Adam and Eve. It's in you. It's in there. Stop believing the lie that you are disqualified. You are highly qualified. Do you hear that? You are highly qualified. There is nothing, nothing, nothing in all creation that can separate you from the qualification that is in him. Because it's not about you and what you've done. It's about him and what has been forever. But what about the rest of the verse? Verse 24, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I'm sorry, I goofed up. I should have read that before I said everything else. No, the word guard there. Again, looking at the Greek, what it's communicating is the cherubim were sent there to preserve to save, to protect the way to true life. From the very beginning, God was protecting the way back. It wasn't found in Moses. It wasn't found in any religion. It wasn't found what I came out of or what you've come out of. It is found in Jesus and in him alone. Our destiny is in him. He's protected it. And that's what we are coming to a realization about. It's about knowing who he is, that he is a good, good God. And knowing who you are, that you are good, good, good because you are his image. You are his likeness. So what's holding us back? Essentially embracing disqualification and separation, which is a shared experience that pretty much all humanity has experienced. Be encouraged. God wants each and every one of us to know that our present condition is no indication of our God-created potential. Did you hear that? Your present condition is no indication of your God-created potential. God never has and never will see any of us as disqualified. Everything we need for life and godliness is already in us. We just need to awaken to its reality. You ever wonder why Paul said, rise, O sleeper, rise from thy slumber, let Christ shine on you? That's what we have been hearing here, and that's what God is doing in our midst I tell you, the valley of dry bones, they're shaken and they're coming alive and a mighty army is rising up. Not an army to crash down and destroy, but an army to love and to bring in with joy, gladness, and rejoicing. What holds us back is our false beliefs rooted in the lie. You have them, I have them. They're in there. And I celebrate when I find them. You know why I celebrate? because I ain't going to believe that anymore. And if I have trouble, I know God's going to help me through it. Just like a good 12-step meeting. <laughs> this lie and where we're at began with our believing that we were unworthy, that we needed to do something to be loved, accepted, and more like God. But we've always been like him. We just never realized it. Our first step of moving past the lie is to believe 
1 John 4, 17. As he is, so are we in this world. He doesn't say in heaven. He said in here and now. But God, I don't see it. But he says, I see it in you. It's in there. I planted it in there. The treasure is safe and secure. And that is what I'm birthing in you. Was Jesus disqualified, needing to work to earn Father's love and acceptance to be more like Father? No. As he is, so are we in this world. The same is true of us as well. The lie attempted to distort God's image, our image to disqualify us. Its only power was to deceive and disqualify us. But it desperately failed. Jesus was a lamb slain from the very foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8. And God gave his grace before time began, 2 Timothy 1, 9. God dealt with everything that happened in the garden before Adam and Eve even existed. The lie attempted to victimize us. It attempted to victimize you and me. But you know something? You're not a victim. I'm not a victim. None of us are victims. You know what we are? Creators. Because God is not a victim. God is a creator. We are his image, so you're a creator. I'm a creator. Those who don't know him yet, creation is in them as well. And if you look closely enough, you'll find it. You'll see it, and you'll embrace it. The second thing we need to do is confront every aspect of the victim mindset and embrace the creator mindset within us. How do we do that? Believe what God says about you, period. Let that be your treasure search in scripture. What does he say about himself? What does he say about you? What he says about himself is true of you as well. The victim mindset, to look at that, that we can equate that with a lie, it prevents one from seeing and acting on available healthy choices to them. It prevents them from the life they desire and a godly life. You see, the victim mindset, pretty much the lie, it only gives two choices. It's an either or. If you eat this, you'll be like God. What was the correct response? I'm already like God. You know how Adam and Eve could have circumvented all that? How many trees were before him when the serpent was there? Two, the lie and the truth. Serpent presents a lie. All they had to do was step over, get that tree of life. You know what you need to do? Hear the lie. Pick from truth. You know who's truth? Jesus, our elder brother. The victim mindset, how we know if we're operating out of that, no, it's the same thing as what happened in the garden. What, what was the first thing that happened after Adam and Eve sinned? The blame game. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent blamed God. So if we're blaming, if we're complaining, if we're excusing, justifying our actions, if we're repeating negative behaviors, if we're living between the life that we desire, that we know that's good, 
we're more than likely acting out of a victim mindset. And we need to ask God, okay, what's going on? I'm not liking what I'm seeing. I'm seeing something's wrong. I need some help here. And you know what God said? James said he'll give you wisdom if you ask. The victim mindset can be directed internally or externally. We call the internal the internal critic, which accepts too much responsibility. It self-blames. It disqualifies self. It rules oneself as inadequate, self-judging. A lot of times we get these voices from supportive, important adults in our lives when we were children. The flip side of that is the inner defender. It flips. Instead of judging self, it judges others. It accepts too little responsibility. The victim mindset is insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results each time. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of that loop, and I'm ready to get out of it. Regardless of your experience, you were never a victim. You've always been a creator. Embrace your mindset, your creator mindset. Now let's look at the creator mindset. The creator mindset allows you to see multiple options, not just either or, but you've got multiple options to choose from. It enables you to choose wisely between what is best for you, those around you, and in every situation. It's a solution-focused mindset. It takes action to achieve desired goals and achieving God's purpose in our lives. It seeks to make the best out of any situation. It's impartial and allows us to be fully aware of ourselves, others, the world around us, and taking action to get in the perfect spot that we can be. Creator mindsets always focus on the greater good of others, of self, of community. They're accountable, they take full responsibility, they're compassionate, healing, and restoring. How do we know if we're operating out of a victim or a creator? We look at the qualities. If you want to keep it simple, if it's positive, if it's good, it's more than likely creator. If it creates negative feelings, if we're uncomfortable with it, it's probably the opposite. Creator mindsets are full of peace, joy, righteousness, or rightness, hope, faith, life, goodness. His voice resting in him and grace. The good news is Jesus came. He became us, but he never relinquished his creator mindset. The offer to embrace a victim mindset arose many times in Jesus' life and ministry, but he never embraced it. We can look at Luke 4, and I'm winding down to the end here. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Bam ended. Wait a minute, where's the vengeance God? And then he tells him a story. Who's he talking to? Jews. And who's the heroes of the story? Gentiles. Hated Gentiles. He talks about Naaman the leper getting healed, but no Jews got healed. He talks about the widow. No Jews got saved. Not good. They got angry. And then in verse 28, when all those in the synagogue heard what Jesus said, they rose up and thrust him out of the city. 
And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him over the cliff. But what did Jesus do? He passed right through them. Jesus passed through internal struggles here, through his life in the wilderness, as his ministry began, at Gethsemane, on the cross and other places. But in each situation, he maintained the creator mindset. As he is, so are we in this world. He's empowered, and he's empowered us. He endured and was victorious in each area, embracing his authentic identity. Jesus did it as us and for us. And we're able to participate in his finished work. And all the voices of the lie push through like Jesus. Go and do likewise. Listen to what Holy Spirit is saying. I'm going to share one other thing. The word obey in most of our Bible translations, it's not actually there in the original language. But if you got a King James Version, it really got this right. It got it good. It doesn't use the word obey. It uses the word hearken, which means to hear and to respond. Obedience is a thing of works, but hearkening is a voice of love. It's a voice of grace that I'm hearing. And because of the intimacy that we share, I respond affirmatively. That's how my life is turning into a voice of hearing, of listening. And my work that I do as a counselor, I listen to what Holy Spirit is saying. And you know, God is excited about what seems to be the most mundane areas of everyone's life. And I revel, I rejoice in what he does. Just like what it says repeatedly in scripture, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Hearken, hear what he's saying. That's part of the creator mindset. So in conclusion, believe what God says about you. Hearken to his voice and two last scriptures. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.